Well, good morning. So for those, I think I've met all of you. My name's Dave Sutton. Um, one of the members here at <laughs> CHBC. You know, usually up front they're saying one of the elders here. And I'm, yeah, one of the members here at CHBC. But anyway, uh, we've been members here for about a year and a half. We've got Mary Ann's our, our youngest. We have two others uh, off, two my, and my wife off on a college trip this morning. So anyway, a college looking trip, but that's irrelevant. So we're here this morning to talk about membership. Um, and I'll open it with a question that I think is good for us to think about. Um, how is the commitment that you make to this church different than your other commitments that you have in life? Um, is it different? You know, and should it be different? And if so, or if not, why not? So that's a big question I think that'll kind of frame everything that we're looking at here. If you've been here any length of time at all, um, you know that here we're talking about that commitment is church membership. That's the commitment we make to each other. So our main point for the lesson this morning is going to be what you see there on your handout. Um, in order for the local church to glorify God and to build up believers and function the way he intended, we must be committed to membership, which is a mutual covenant to affirm, we'll come back to that, and oversee every member's discipleship and growth. So we're just basically got it broken up into three parts there. I know that handout looks pretty dense, uh, but we're going to go through, especially that first page, pretty quickly um, just to lay some foundations. And we're going to spend a little more time on the last, last two sections. But kind of three areas. Let's talk about what is a congregation. What are we talking about when we say a church? Because we're talking about church membership. That'll be a little bit quicker. Um, then we're going to look at where is church membership in the Bible? Because I mean, anything we want to do, we want it to be rooted in Scripture and, and, uh, and commanded by God or, or encouraged by the Lord. And then finally, just some encouragements toward membership and some encouragements in, in how we think about membership um, as we go about our life together as a congregation. So let's just get started with what is a congregation. So a good basic definition of a church, and this isn't going to be a class on what is a church. They could probably, you, could, you could have a whole class on that. But a basic definition is it's a people under the Lordship of Christ who carry out the mission of Christ and gather and organize themselves according to the commands of Christ. So we're just gonna kind of look at those three under the Lordship of Christ and doing his mission and organizing ourselves the way he's commanded us to real, real quickly here to kind of set our foundation here. So first, we're people under the Lordship of Christ. You know, Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your, so that's who Christians are, people who confess Jesus as Lord, right? Um, we see, you know, Matthew 28, 18, Christ said he started before he gave the church its mission, which we'll look at in a minute. He said, anybody remember what he started the whole thing with? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So Christ's authority is over the church, right? And then there are number, you've got a number of verses listed on your sheet there. We won't go through all of them, but you know, Ephesians 1, 22, 23, Paul says he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church his body. So Christ is the head over the church. We're under his lordship here in the church. Um, so in other words, it's a people under his lordship. So Christians, right? Christians in the Bible are called saints. You see those three separate parts there? That just, that word me, literally means set apart. So it's a bunch of people set apart to Christ. Ephesians 1, Philippians 1, you know, Paul's constant to the saints, to the saints. And that's not a particular bunch of holy people. That's Christians, people who have been set apart by the Holy Spirit. Um, those people are serving each other. So it's the people set apart to Christ who serve each other. So Acts 6 is the story of the first, what we see is the establishment of deacons in the church where they were, there was just service that was needed. 
there was a distribution of food and there were things to be taken care of and the elders needed to be focusing on the word and prayer and teaching and so they assigned people to serve. But it's not just deacons, right? Philippians 2, that chapter says about, you know, Philippians 2, 4, look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of other. And there's, you, we're all aware there's, there's myriad uh, one another's all through the scripture. So we, we serve and then we're led, you know, by shepherds. Um, so I'm trying a new, uh, a, a new version set up here, so we'll see how this works this morning. So don't worry about that. But yeah, by shepherds. So when Paul was out, you know, doing his missionary journeys, he wrote a letter to Titus, and he said, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you, right? And as he left Ephesus, he addressed, he addressed the elders. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So the Holy Spirit gave this flock, gave this flock some leaders also for some structure and some guidance and everything. So that's, we're, we're a set apart people under Christ's Lordship. He's over the church, serving each other with leaders to help and guide us in, in, the, in those tasks. And what are those tasks? Well, we, we alluded to it already, Matthew 28, right? Where Christ said, anybody remember what he said? Remember, go therefore, make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right? So there you go. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So we're carrying out the mission of Christ. We go about the world. We're representing Jesus, doing what he commanded. Um, and you can kind of see the three elements of what's on your page there in what Christ said. Make disciples. So discipleship. We're out there introducing people to Jesus. Right? Colossians 1. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, right? And then he says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, Ephesians 4.11, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry. So we're introducing people to Christ, and then we're equipping them to serve Christ. Um, then we see that there is doctrine. So that's, there's a re, there has to be something guiding that, right? So Philippians, uh, Philippians, 3, Philippians 1, 3 to 11 is one of the verses you have there. And Paul says at the end of that section, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Um, 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, our weapons are not fleshly, but they're uh, spiritual weapons. They're not of the flesh. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And when he was talking to the Galatians, maybe he said, I'm astonished at you Galatians that you so quickly left the left the gospel that you had. So we're about doctrine in the mission, we're about understanding exactly what it is that Christ taught, making sure that, other, that people who come to him understand what it is that he taught, right? And then discipline, making sure that they obey. When Jesus said, make disciples, teach them to obey, right? And we're helping one another fall, persevere in the faith. Um, that's what you see in Matthew 18. That's the section where Christ talks about, lays out what we now call church discipline, where you, if someone is straying from the faith, those, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Right? So um, we see that happen in 1 Corinthians, where Paul tells the, first, the, the, the Corinthian church that someone who is caught in gross sin should be removed, removed from their membership. He didn't use the word membership, right? But he should be removed from among you. And then we see in 2 Corinthians that apparently that person had repented, and he says, restore them to him. So there's a, Christ set up a, pat, a pattern for us to guard each other's lives, warn those who are straying, and then restore those who've, who, who repent. So we're a special people, set apart, 
under Christ, in him, doing the things that he's uh, doing the things that he commanded us to do, make disciples, teach those disciples, guard each other's lives, help each other along the path, and then gather and regularly to do that, right, and organize and according to the commands that he's given us, right? So we do the things that Christ directed us to do as a body. So we preach the word, right? Paul's command to Timothy, preach the word in season, out of season. Um, the right administration of the ordinances. So we see Christ's command of the church to do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. His command, obviously, we, we just saw in Matthew 28 to go and baptize, uh, baptize disciples as, as we're making them. Um, and then gather regularly, right? So Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 10, 24, 25, I think everybody knows that. Let us consider how to stir one another up toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, as, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, and I think a good summary of that is Acts 2, 42, where you see what the early church was doing. They devoted themselves to See if I get the right order, because I didn't write it down. The apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer, right? So they were devoted to those things together as a church. And you kind of see elements of all those things we've talked about. So that was a pretty fast kind of run through. But I think what I want to see here is that the church is not just a club. It's not another social organization. Um, this is Christ's body. Right? Remember in Ephesians 5 when Paul is talking about husbands and wives and he says the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And later on he says, and this is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So that, this is not just some other club. This is Christ's body. We're literally being built into a dwelling place for him. Um, we see that in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So this is not just some club. This is a unique get a unique body, a unique dwelling place for the Lord that's being made together, which I think gets back to at least one of the answers for keeping track of that initial question. What's different about your commitments to the church versus any other organization? Well, part of that answer hinges around, well, what's different about the thing you're committing to? <laughs> this is a different thing that we're a part of than just anything else that we're doing in, in our lives. So, so we join a church. We're not just signing up. Right. So any, any questions on that? I went through that very quickly, intentionally, but any questions or issues just on that? We can, there's, there's a lot of books. You go to Nine Marks and What is a Church? You'll find pl a plethora of, uh, of resources on, on what is a church. But, but the foundational point for us is it's not just a club. It's fundamentally different. And, we're, our com and then we'll see later our commitment to it is, is different as well. But let's back up a little. Yeah, Cara, right? Kari. Kari, sorry. Kari yeah, yes. Yeah, that's right. Somebody said that to me once, and I must have, yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, so when we're talking about, is, is this, have you been telling us about the church? Have you been telling us about a church, I mean, a local church? Yeah, right. Yeah, good point. So certainly, all Christians everywhere, and this, this is the question, is it, what about the universal church? I'm a member of the universal church. And we're going to actually talk a little bit about how some things that are commands to churches that don't make sense if you're just talking about uh, all Christians everywhere for all time. So 
most, everything that we've gone through really is mostly about the local churches. That's how you see the, the universal church. So it's not, you know, there's, some, there's a bunch of people running around the planet calling themselves Christians and they talk about Jesus. That's, that's not what we see happening. We see them going, gathering, establishing some leaders, that sort of thing. So a lot of those commands and a lot of the things we're doing, yeah, a general vague cloud of Christians don't just kind of get together and have communion every once in a while. They, separate, they celebrate the Lord's table as they gather together. And even the commands to gather, we see, okay, we're, we're still, so this is more about what is a church, right? Uh, and, and, what are, and what is this organization that we're committing to be members of most fundamentally, right? Even though you're right, some of those things apply to Christians generally. So good question though. So, all right, somebody might say to you, all right, I get it. Yeah, church is different. But you know, who says I actually have to join, right? Which I'll just say it was always—it's it, always been a curious question to me because people will join almost anything. Like you, you have to sign up if you join Little League or Amazon Prime, and somehow you know making a commitment to a church rubs some people the wrong way. Which I don't—I'll just be honest—I don't understand. But that's a—it's a question. It's and we need to answer that question, right? Why? Who says I got to sign up? Well, I think most of us here probably know there's—you couldn't point to a verse. I know you can't because there isn't one, a verse that just says, thou shalt have church membership and it shall look like this. Um, but the more we read through scripture in the New Testament, we, you kind of just see it's the presupposition of the New Testament, kind of to the answer to your question, Kari. You know? um, so much of what the church did and what it was commanded to do just doesn't make much sense apart from church membership. Um, and so we're gonna look through some of those things that we see in the New Testament and the way, I've just, the way I've thought about it to myself is, you know, if you're describing um, a particular animal and you say it's got two legs, okay, that narrows it down. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a human, right? It could be a duck, right? Oh, it's got two legs and hair. Okay, could be a human, could be a chimpanzee, you know what I mean? So you see there's none of those things, none of these things by themselves is some sort of, again, a verse that says, you, thou shalt have church membership. But let's just take a look at these lists, ask ourselves the question, well, how, how does it make any sense apart from church membership? And then taken as a whole, I think it's pretty clear. It's what, what the Puritans used to call a, a um, uh, what was the word, a, a good and necessary inference. They said, we follow the things in the scripture that are either explicit or a good and necessary inference. You kind of have to infer this from the scripture. So anyway, so let's look at some things that we have here. I've got some verses. Can somebody look up Hebrews 13, 17? Raise your hand if you're going to grab that verse. Uh, anybody? I'm going to ask, sir. Thank you, sir. Second uh, Corinthians two, five to eight. Somebody grab that one. Thanks. Uh, Matthew eighteen, fifteen to seventeen. We'll stop. We'll stop there. Thanks, Steve. We'll we'll stop with that. All right. So starting out, when we look at the New Testament, we see that there is submission to leaders, both in practice and commanded. So read Hebrews thirteen seventeen. And tell me your name again, brother. I'm Nathan. Hey, Nathan, thank you. Uh, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Right. Interesting to me when you think, all right, who is he telling that they should obey their leaders? Right, anybody who visits the church that Sunday, right? And ask yourself the question, who are these guys accountable for? It says those, those leaders are going to give an account. Are they going to give an account for every 
every person that walked in the door was a visitor some Sunday, or is there some discrete group of people that they're charged with shepherding a particular flock? So just some as we go through. Um, we see that there was very clear there were numerical growth, and people kept track of the numbers. Um, Acts chapter 2 talks about the growth in the church around Pentecost, and it says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Um, and this wasn't like Moses writing about something in you know, Genesis that he wasn't around for, and so we just know the Holy Spirit told, you know, this is Luke, who was a doctor and given a very accurate account. And so somebody knew that there were about 3,000 people that day, whatever the actual number was. So again, just one of those little, little clues that people knew who were the Christians and where they were. Um, next, there was, a form, there was a formal voting process. Um, somebody have 2 Corinthians 2, 5 to 8. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Right. So notice there what the punishment was, where the punishment came from. Anybody catch that word? Majority. The majority. Majority of what? <laughs> Somebody had to have know what the number is to know if you know we, we require a 75% you know vote in order to exercise church discipline. Well, 75% of what the people who happen to show up or whatever. So again, those questions. <clears throat> Act six, we refer to the choosing of deacons. It says, and they chose so the congregation or somebody right recognized the deacons that were going to serve this particular flock in that case. So. Um, we also see kind of a common awareness of members. Um, in Romans 16, at the end, Paul's uh, giving his final greetings to folks, and he says, I commend you, our sister Phoebe, uh, a servant of the church at Sencrie. Uh, so Phoebe was at the church at Sencrie. And then he goes on, you know, he says that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her. And then he goes on through the rest of that section, naming other people. You know, and so-and-so is in the church at so-and-so's house and all these different things. So there's some aware, it wasn't just, oh yeah, Phoebe's out there doing her thing and she's in the church at Sencrier. And then there's other believers that, and they knew where they were and what gatherings that they were part of. Um, we see interesting specific and organized pastoral care. Um, we already talked about the fact that the need for the deacons being organized was that there was some sort of distribution of the food going on. Right between the Hellenistic widows and the Jewish widows was going on. And here, the widow the care of widows seemed to be another kind of formal thing that the church did. If you look at First Timothy, you don't have to turn there, uh, but First Timothy five, uh, Paul is giving instructions to him about care of the widows, and he's saying honor widows who are widows indeed. And then he's giving tell if they have family, teach the families to take care of them because you know that you need to be taking care of your family. And then he starts talking about but. And if she's too young, yeah, don't put her on the list. Huh, they keep a list. There's some like enrollment on, on the widow's list. And then he actually says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. And he gives these qualifications. He says, but refuse to enroll younger widows. So we see already an organization within a group of particular care and particular people who are on particular lists. In this case, the list of widows among the, the congregation's membership. Um, We've already alluded to this, but we see discipline toward removal and restoration. That's always the aim. That's always the aim of church discipline, um, and that's a whole other lesson. But that's it's it's removal and restoration. But we see that process. Um, somebody had Matthew 18, uh, 15 to 17. 
네. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Right. So she knows who he's supposed to tell it to. The church. And I think that's a good one to get Sakari's question. If the church everywhere in Scripture just means, well, we're part of the universal church, were you supposed to announce it to Christians everywhere? I mean, obviously not, right? You tell it to the church. There's some discrete body that's recognized that we tell that to. Um, and then we already talked about Paul's uh, instructions uh, to, to the Corinthians about removing that member. And the verse that where Paul encourages them to receive him says, the punishment by the majority is enough. So we see some sort of formal voting going on in, in, the, in the membership that excludes someone from that membership, from that belonging in that, in that body. Um, and then we also just see the New Testament teaches we are many members of one body, right? Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the fact that you know, the body has many different members and we all have these different functions, right? We're all joined together into a particular body. And when he says the body has many members, right? He, uh, in Romans 12, he's saying, you know, let each serve according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For in one body we have many members, the many members don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Again, thinking about this, and other passages, for instance, in Ephesians, where he talks about he gave apostles and teachers. For other verses in Romans, where he talks about exercising your gifts. Some people have gifts of administration, some people have gifts of service. Those all only really make sense in the context of a local church, where there's some sort of understanding of who belongs to this local body. Right. So any, you know, any single one of these, like I said, isn't the slam dunk, but I think taken together, right, they are a good and necessary influence, or influence, inference um, that, that we are to, called to gather, encourage, guard, right, and sacrifice for one another. And that calls for commitment, a formal commitment, right, and a conscious commitment, uh, not one that's just kind of comfort-based. You know, if, if, if you will, and we'll talk about that in uh, just a minute. So we started with the question. Uh, any, any questions on that section? Any comments on that section? That was a little bit rapid fire, but we'll... Nothing. Glad to know I did it so well. Yeah, so anyway. <laughs> so like I said, we started with the question, how is the commitment that you make, if you're a member, to DRBC different than other commitments that you make. Um, so I'm gonna pose that question. Any thoughts, if you're a member? Um, how is the commitment that you made to DRBC different than other commitments you have in your life? Assuming you think it is. Any, anybody? Kari? I make a covenant with my church. Not mm -hmm. make a covenant with like my gym. Right, <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah, exactly. There's, there's, there's a different solemnity to it, in a sense, right, yeah. Let me think of any other ways. We talked about just the different nature of what it is you're committing to. That's certainly a, a difference in most of the, in fact, all of the other things that we commit ourselves to, right? Holding each other accountable. Yeah, right. There's, there's a kind of account, 
kind of accountability at work, right? You know, if, if you've got coworkers and they're not pulling their weight or your employee, but that's different than the sort of mutual care that we're to have for each other, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Knitting ourselves into each other's lives, right? That happens in a way that isn't really, I've never, I've never worked anywhere and don't know anyone who's worked where we were encouraged to ask awkward questions of each other. <laughs> and get into each other's stuff on a regular basis. Yeah, all of these things are different. Well, I think one, a good framework to help kind of help us understand that difference um, is, is the difference between what we'll call comfort-based commitment and calling-based commitment. Right? So I want to take a little bit of time and look at both of those uh, here for a minute. So comfort-based commitment, I think, is something the world understands, right? Steelers fans are committed to the Steelers, right? And, you know, people are committed to their jobs. He's a committed worker, right? They're committed to their favorite destination, vacation destination or whatever. Anybody, anybody here consider yourself, like, pretty committed Apple user? Like, yeah, there's some, you know. There's got to be one in every crowd, and I'm glad there was, because this, this works out. So <laughs> remind me your name again. John. I'm, John, that's right. You told me that yesterday. Um, what, why? Why are you committed to Apple? Uh, and I understand it's not in the same way you're committed to the church, but like, you know, yeah. if, you're, if you're a committed well, Apple user, why? How did that come about? Um, I said first iPhone, iPhone 3G, and from there, it just felt like it was just so um, streamlined that <coughs> Oh, I just have talks to you. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And our families, like relatives are on Apple, so we can share albums. And it's just yeah. so good, right? Yeah, it's so, and why are you people struggling with Android and Windows? And you just, I can't understand, right? Yeah, well, so that, yeah, makes sense, right? Somebody said, hey, dude, you should try an iPhone. And you do. And you're like, huh, this is pretty seamless. And then your PC doesn't crash. And the next thing you know, you're just kind of liking this. And next thing you know, you're dressing your kids in jeans and black turtlenecks, you know, because, uh, you know, and it's all goodness. Because it was convenient, right? How did that happen, right? Well, it didn't all happen at once, right? In fact, you, you know, you didn't set out to, you know, I think I'm going to be, I'm going to commit to being an Apple guy. But it just did, right? The further you got in, the more attractive it looks. And then you're in pretty deep, right? And so comfort-based commitment works for consumer products, right? And for a lot of Christians, that's, what, that's how they think of the church. Um, they, you know, they had some friends in the area and they recommended this church and it had great music and a really good fun, it had fun children's ministry and youth and the cool and relatable pastor, right? So, and, and none of those are bad things, right? We have good music and we have a pretty good children's ministry and we got cool and relatable pastors, so that's not bad, um, but great. So the church, and it was convenient and they had a lot of parking. Um, so they, and then maybe they got it, started to go into a fellowship group or they met some people that they really clicked with. Uh, then the pastor kind of helped them through some personal problems. They got a real emotional connection to the church. And then maybe they joined, you know, if the church even did that, right? But, the, so what, but why? What was the, that wasn't a big moment, right? Because they're obviously committed. They're coming every week, so they're committed, right? But in that model, whether you think about Apple or a church, right, their commitment was the similar kind of process. It was comfort-based. It was convenient. Right? It might be more than that, um, but over time they saw the church community meeting their needs, and so they got more comfortable there, and they got more comfortable, they began to commit more deeply. And so what happened was that they, they didn't so much commit as they became committed. And there's a, there's a difference between how we kind of 
fall into or develop our commitments to things that are important to us, and maybe they should be important to us, but things that we are called to be committed to as Christians and to be, and to be a part of. And so that's where we come into a calling-based commitment. So comfort base is fine for your computer brand or your book club, um, but as Christians, we're commanded to love and care for each other, as we've been seeing in, in some of our passage here. So what I want to do is we're going to look at three statements about calling-based commitment, just kind of lay it out there, and then we'll contrast it to comfort-based, and I think that'll kind of, that will flesh out what we're talking about here with kind of calling-based commitment. So the first one is that calling-based commitment tells the truth about what it means to be a Christian, right? And in particular, that we love each other. Um, Comfort-based commitment, on the other hand, is at best kind of a half-truth about what it really means to be a Christian and to become part of the body of Christ. Um, the, New the New Testament does not treat us like consumers, right? Who need, to be, you know, who need to become providers as they kind of commit a little bit more to the church, right? It assumes that to be a Christian is to be a provider to others of love and help and support to others. As we're able, certainly as we mature, we'll be better helpers, but it's, that's not something that you're, you can put off till later. We're all commanded to do that. Um, Instead, it assumes Christians are committed to a local church in ways that are meaningful and sometimes painful, kind of to the point we heard, you know, it's, this is about getting in each other's lives, um, and deliberate. So listen to these words of 1 John uh, in chapter 4. He says, we love because he first loved us, not because it was comfortable or convenient or we kind of got it right. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So you see, for John here, love between believers isn't just like a sign of maturity or deeper commitment. It's a sign of saving faith. That's what God does in our hearts. So when we, in ch as churches, we attract Christians like consumers, right? We're failing to tell them the kind of the whole truth about what it means to be, to be a Christian and, be, and to submit to the Lordship of Christ, like we heard about in that definition at the beginning. So you might be thinking, oh, you know, and people will think, but, but okay, take a breath though, be realistic. People are consumers, you know. How are you gonna attract them if you don't attract them as consumers, right? Well, that kind of brings us to point number two. And that is that, that calling-based commitment uh, shows the gospel's supernatural power. And we've probably heard teaching about this in the church, in this church, if you've been here for any length of time, but you know, an interesting diagnostic question to ask yourself you know, why do you keep coming here? You know, like, why do you crush a huge part of your weekend schlepping to and from DRBC, you know? And on every other Sunday, you know, two Sundays a week, it's the whole day, most of the day, right? And for a lot of people, it's still most of the day anyway, because we're all getting together. Why? Why do we do that? Um, the motive of our community should say something about our God, right? And our commitment to each other should frankly, defy natural explanation to those that are around us. So comfort-based commitment, on the other hand, happens pretty naturally, right? Just as we kind of laid out for people. It's how the world commits, right? Our natural tendency is to go toward people who like us, toward groups that we feel comfortable with, and who benefit us. That's, you know, one difference is that, yeah, we certainly derive benefit from the church, but I don't come to the church because I want, you know, I better get some benefit. It's not a contract in that sense, right? Um, relationships, you know, think through the relationships you have in your life, you know, and are there any that couldn't be explained, you know, by just life and the way it happens, 
right? Any that would, that would unbelievers around you, that other unbelievers around you might have, right? That would exist even if God didn't exist, right? Again, so life as God designed it might lead to that. We all end up in places where we have similar interests and skills and that sort of thing, similar tastes and, and even socioeconomic status because of the neighborhood you live in. That happens, but our aspiration should be that our lives are characterized by relationships that could only be explained by God, right? Um, and people are, are, are used to getting something from relationships. Even great acts of altruism, right, often have a calculus, right? I do this because it gives me joy. I get fulfillment because I do these things to others, right? The same, but in the local church, much of that benefit doesn't arrive in this life. <laughs> it arrives in heaven. Um, so looking through purely natural, worldly eyes, we should see a church people that are loving each other in ways that just seem kind of silly or a little fanatical even. Um, not, you know, not a natural commitment that could be explained by everything they understand about the world, right? But a supernatural commitment, right? That seems dependent on something I just can't quite see. You know? So I can just give you an illustration. A black couple in their, probably now in their 70s. One grew up in Los, An in, uh, Los Angeles, LA, Lower Alabama, actually Louisiana. One grew up in Florida, both in the midst of Jim Crow in the South. Now they live in Maryland, in PG County. Um, we're in our home having dinner. Me, white guy from Pittsburgh, you know, in an executive job, you know, like, why would that happen? You know, how in the world would that ever happen in, in just life? You know what I mean? Except that they were fellow members with us at our previous church, and we got together, and we love them, you know, and, and we've learned so much from them, and trust they've learned something from us, too. They've at least been encouraged, right? But if somebody in the world saw the two of the, the four of us getting together, that they would go, huh, how'd you meet those people? You know, so, and that should happen. There should be more and more of that. Just love for people. Why are you going over to this person's house and helping them? And you know, why did you stay up till 2 a.m.? Because, well, because they're my brother and sister in Christ. And we, you know, that, there should be things that don't make sense to the world about our membership. And that's what comfort-based commitment really doesn't tell that whole truth. So. And then a third point that I think should encourage us to this kind of commitment is the fact that relationship thrives on that kind of commitment. So, and it, this was a really interesting, a friend at a previous church had a really interesting conversation with a college senior. And so she had visited the church as a freshman and liked the teaching, but was just put off by this membership thing. You know, like seemed all freak sign, sign here that you agree with the statement of faith and it just kind of freaked her out. So it felt kind of exclusive, felt a little demanding, felt a little intrusive. And she, what she wanted were authentic relationships, not a bunch of rules, right? So. A few years passed, she showed up again and joined. <laughs> well, why? Well, and as it turns out, the thing that had offended her, membership, right, was actually an essential ingredient to the thing she was craving, which was authentic relationships. So she looked for churches that downplayed commitment. What do you think she got? Downplayed commitment. <laughs> Convenience. You know, comfort, if it works for me, that sort of thing, and just couldn't. But when she talked with her friends who went to churches where membership was a big deal, she heard about churches with the kind of community which is exactly what she was wanting because they were committed to that and because it's worked by the Holy Spirit. Reference point just before this, right? It's supernatural. So, and that just makes sense. If the church appeals to you as a consumer, then you shouldn't be surprised if it's full of consumers. Um, a lot of church growth stuff and nine marks will say you know what you win them with is what you win them to you know and that's that's exactly right 
Um, and if you, if you attract them as consumers, then you gotta keep them as consumers, right? Um, and so a consumerist church culture is not one that's hospitable for relationships, but a church that's built around membership, where you have committed to this body, you've covenanted with this body, is different, right? It requires that commitment up front. You promise to love a group of Christians in deep and sacrificial ways, even before you actually know any of them or most of them very well, right? So our commitment isn't based on feelings of attachment or comfort or who helped me or any of that sort of thing. And again, it's not wrong if you love coming to this church because you were helped. That's, so don't get the wrong idea. Those, those are all good things, but our commitment precedes that, is before all of that. Um, instead, you know, it's a commitment we make simply because it's part of following Jesus. And somehow the Holy Spirit works in our hearts that I see this person over there and I just have kind of a love for them and a desire to know and help them that would, I would never have. It was just some random guy on the street, you know, kind of thing. Um, so that's all bound up in church members. So in, in, in the end, um, church membership isn't just some administrative thing that we have to get right, right? It actually matters to a, a number of different things, and that's kind of what we'll wrap up with here. So could somebody look up Ephesians 3.10? I'll just assume somebody's going to get that. And then uh, John 13, 34, and 35. Make it a thanks, Harry. And then Hebrews 3, 12 to 14. And we're going we're gonna to wrap up here with just encouragements that our church membership, our commitment to membership matters in a number of ways. So four different ways that our church membership matters. The first is that it matters for the glory of God, right? So, uh, so whoever has Ephesians 3.10, go ahead and read that. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities uh, in its heavenly places. Yeah, think about that. Through the church, God's manifold wisdom his work, his sovereignty, his power, all the things about God are being made known to authorities and powers in the heavenly places. He's displaying himself. That's one of the things about just Christianity generally that continues to boggle my mind. Like, if you're the infinite awesome God that made everything that the James Webb telescope is seeing, why are you bothering with us? You know, like, how? How could that glorify you? But it does, right? Because that's what his word says. And so we're glorifying him in heavenly places as well as in the world um, through our church. So your membership and our commitment actually does matter. Um, it matters for our spiritual growth. I alluded to the section in Ephesians 4 where Paul um, urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which we've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Right? He's urging them to that Christ-like life and to become more conformed to the image of Christ. And later in that section, uh, in Ephesians 4, this is the first 16 verses, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We're back to our thing about doctrine and dis discipleship and all those things. God's given us these gifts. This membership in this church body matters for our growth. That's what it's for, is so that we can grow up in all these things, being built up as a body, being built up in the body, so that we can attain to Christ-likeness, right? And then sh and share that with others. We've talked a little bit about this already, but it matters for our witness to the world. So who had uh, John 13, 34 to 35? Sorry, right. yes. The commandment I gave 
love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Right. That's how people know we're Christians. And that, that's, and I've, I think earlier in my Christian life, probably not as far back as I'd like to think, that was just sort of a vague concept to me until I've slowly heard more and more stories about people who were attracted by just what they saw going on in a church or between Christians or that sort of thing. Um, again, our love for Christians generally, our love our loving demeanor toward people generally should be something that draws people to. So this isn't like a verse that says, therefore have church membership. But how does that make sense apart from this commitment that in any other way, apart from especially this commitment that we've made to each other to be members to covenant together here at Delray Baptist and to display that love to others. Um, so church mattership, it, gives, it matters because it's it, it be to the glory of God. It matters for our spiritual growth. It matters for our witness to the world, and it matters for our faithfulness to the end. So uh, Hebrews 3, 12 to 14. Anybody have that? If not, I'll read it, because I got it. Go ahead, Nathan. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from living God. But encourage each other daily, while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ, we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. All right. So you hear, take care, brothers. Encourage one another. Exhort everybody day by day, as long as it's called today, so that you won't be hardened by sin. Right? And we come to share in Christ if we hold fast to that original confidence to the end. So our member, our covenanting to each other is working out this end, right? That we'll hold fast to the end and be found in Christ. Um, so that our, com our commitment to our church matters in many ways. Um, just one, any, co any comments on that before I conclude? That would be a good place to just see if there's any questions or comments or issues. Yeah, it's John and Tiffany. Tiffany, thank you. I think it's interesting in John 13, um, Jesus is saying that they'll know we're different because of our love for each other. Mm. Um, I think right now culturally we're told that we're... Christians, we have to be accepting of all people, love everyone, which is right. true. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But just that distinction between, you know, that's going to be what really shows people is how we love each other as yeah. Christians. Right. And how we support one another through difficult times. Or, you know. Right, yeah. I think of the section, is it, somebody help me, Romans 14 talks about meat being offered to idols. Um, and he says, if you go to a dinner, and the guy says, oh, this was offered to idols, and there's a younger believer who, who would be harmed by that, what does it say to do? Offend that guy so that you don't offend your weaker brother. You know what I mean? So it, you're, we're actually told, offend the non-Christian for the sake of your brother, and he'll, he'll see that. So yeah, you're right. There is a sense in which that's primary, right? Love, other, love everybody, especially those who are of the household of the faith, right? Um, doesn't mean we gotta be, go around offending everybody else, but yeah, like you said, but that's a very good point, right? Yeah, that, this... That commitment is central and it's fundamental in a way that's, again, supernatural and different from what the world sees. Um, one important note, I think, to make just as we wrap this up, and I think it, it goes without saying, it should go without saying, I think, in this group, but just because something goes without saying doesn't mean it's not good to say it, right? Church membership does not make you a Christian, right? And, that's, and why that's important, 
I think is, you know, particularly we've had some church discipline cases lately, and people are like, oh, wow, what do we do? What's that really saying? And it kind of, it's emotional, and it should be, right? But we need to be very clear that, like, for instance, when someone is excommunicated, right, removed from the membership roles, we're not saying you are therefore not a Christian because we said so. All we're saying is we as a church don't have enough evidence to, in good conscience, affirm that, commit, that, that profession that you're making, right? The membership doesn't make it just, the membership is the church's, back to our original definition, right, is the church's mutual covenant to affirm, right, and to guard and protect and nurture each other's faith, right? So just, we should be clear about that. There are other, other so-called Christian traditions where church membership actually does affect your eternal state, and we don't, we don't subscribe to that, obviously. So... I think a good analogy there, if you were explaining this to someone, would be an embassy. Um, if you're overseas and you lose your passport, uh, you got to make your way to the consulate and you got to figure out who you are and you, you got to get your passport replaced. The embassy doesn't make you a citizen. The embassy just puts a stamp on the fact that you are a citizen and gives you the passport and you know, that sort of thing. We're not saying salvation is a passport to heaven, but it's just an analogy, right? But <laughs> that's, that's, helped, that's helped me just explain it to folks who have questions about that. No, this isn't, you're not making you a Christian. We're just, yeah, we're, we're giving our stamp to the fact that as far as we can tell, yeah, you're a believer, right? And if we see danger in your life or evidence that's not the case, we're gonna reach in and address that with the goal of restoring you to that, to that walk, you know, sort of thing. So I think just to wrap it up, we'll say if we're, if we're a Christian and we think, I got this, right? I just do church in the field. Uh, I don't need a formal structure. I'm a member of the universal church, right? Things like that. I think at best, we're misinterpreting everything that Christ in fact does when he saves us and brings us, makes us part of his body, makes us alive, builds us up together as a dwelling place for him. Um, I think more seriously, we are failing to dwell in the safety and in the strength and the joy of God's provision for us, which he's designed, right, to grow us, to cheer us, and to help us persevere to the end, right? So don't be committed to DRBC just, just out of comfort, although we'd all like to be comfortable here, right? <laughs> Church members, any questions, comments? Any, any discussions anybody has had or arguments that somebody's gotten from someone who kind of thinks this whole church membership thing is a little weird? Yeah. I have multiple friends yeah. that think Sunday morning isn't their vibe, and so like right. they don't go to a church, and they would still call themselves believers. Mm. And then they're like, but I go to a Bible study like midweek. Um, and so it's refreshing to hear you go over again, like how... Like we really are meant to encourage each other yeah. and come together and be part of the same thing and, and encourage and like push each other because the world is hard and you're not going to get that in other places. Right, right. No, that's a good, very good point. And I think the commitment aspect of that is important too because yeah, I go to a midweek and I encourage, I get encouraged and I encourage other people and I hear doctrine because it's a Bible study, you know, sort of thing. That's different than committing yourself to a body, a particular body of believers to help, sacrifice for, give to, um, regardless of who they are or whether you even know them that well because they're part of that local body of Christ. And yeah, you're exactly right. That's a good point. To, to remind me your name again, I'm sorry. Chris. Chris, that's right. That's right. 
Uh, so I was listening to Tim Keller's sermon this past week, so mm -hmm. he parsed it out as the, there's the intellectual Christian and there's the relational Christian. So the intellectual is, can read the Bible, knows where the scripture's at, shows up for church, but mm -hmm. doesn't uh, cultivate the relationship part of it, whereas the relationship, the relational Christian walks out what it means like, uh, to live by faith, yeah. to follow Christ, right. to those relationships. So that's, yeah, that's good. And that relational Christian if he's, also has the intellect. Right, you know, and so, yeah, you see intellectual, you're like, well, hey, even the demons believe in shudder. Good for you, you know what I mean? On the other hand, lots of people have good relationships and help each other out. We're talking about a relationship under the Lordship of Christ, which is, huh, what's that sound like? Uh, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, body, mind, you know, and strength. So yeah, the whole person is committed um, to each other and ultimately to, to him. That's a good well, point. Well, I think you need, because if you're in a church, if you're a member of the church, like I know our friends, like in we're, we're from Knoxville. Our friends mm. there. I mean, if I did something, my my dear Christian friends from the church would see it and be like, uh, yeah, yeah, you, you, <laughs> right. you can't do that. And they would be the first to tell yeah. me. Whereas my other friends may not tell me, like, yeah. hey, you can't do that. You know, they they might just be like, oh, well, I understand. You know, like if I sinned against my husband, right. they'd be like. You can't, you know, you can't act like that. You need to go repent of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas my other friends would be like, well, I would have done the yeah. same thing. You know what I mean? And so I think we need that as, like, we need fellow Christians that are, yeah. and, and those are the people you do life with. Right. Because they're the ones that see, and they know, you know, you, you don't have to go in there acting perfect. Right. And that's countercultural, yeah. especially in the South. Yeah. We live in the South. What, you, how are you? Fine. You know, yeah. <laughs> we're all fine. <laughs> But it's not just the South. We like to pick it. We lived there for a while and you know enjoyed the the all the quirky because I'm from I'm a Yankee, so not not con self consciously, but that's what they told me. Um, but yeah, especially in that culture, you don't go getting in other people's business, you know, kind of thing. And yet here's these people telling you you, you sinned against your husband. You need to go deal with that. Right? That's really countercultural everywhere. Polite D.C. South. Every, people don't want to hold each other accountable. So that's a good point. Yeah. All right, well, let me close this in prayer. We can pick up some kids uh, as needed. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for making us part of your own body, uh, for building us up together as a dwelling place for you, for giving us each other as your gifts um, to help us along the way, to encourage us, to hold us accountable, to sacrifice for each other. Lord, these are beautiful things. These are pictures of what you have already done for us. Help us to be a good reflection um, of all that you are and all that you do, Father, and that the, a watching world can see and so that we can be helped to persevere to the end. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.